course. I'm not just saying this because you dudes are here. Dude, y'all have a great podcast here. This thing's going to take, it's going to continue to take off. Hi, this is Sean Clench, the host of Stories Inside the Man Cave podcast. And I want to thank you for being a loyal listener and a loyal viewer of each of our episodes. And be sure to follow us on each of our social media platforms, that being our Facebook page, Twitter handle, and on Instagram. And a huge shout out. As we continue to grow, we are gaining sponsors and partners, beginning with Jim Saxton State Farm Insurance Agency in Austin and Cosmic Coffee and Beer Garden on the south side of Austin. As for the partners, our community now, be sure to follow their platforms on Facebook and our latest and newest partner, that being Farmhouse Delivery in Austin, Texas. As for the next episode, let's ride. Hey y'all, Kevin Hutchison here with Realty Austin and I am grateful to be a part of Stories Inside the Man Cave, a homegrown podcast just like my own business. Wake your ass up or take a damn nap. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. It's time. I mean, Sean, you were twerking. That's going to happen. <laughs> Murph, don't be a dick all your life. This is uh, one, of, one of the more fun podcasts I've ever done. Hey, I'll tell you what. If you're not talking about sports in the man cave, you... No, nah, I bet not. So you're not a man. That's it. <laughs> Hey, we love dramatic opens around here. That that okay, that's the end of this episode. You saw all what we're talking about, Coach Penders and Tommy Penders Jr. This has uh been long overdue, and to get both of you guys and to line our schedules, it only took 129 episodes to make this happen, but it's better late than never. Welcome, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be here, Sean. Man, I appreciate you, Tommy. And Coach Penders, I know a lot of people who have followed for both of you follow Texas basketball. Uh, they, they really attribute, attribute you for the significant turnaround. And when you look back at that now, can you believe it's been as long as it has and to see where the program is, where it is now, because you guys both will play a significant part in what Texas basketball is now. Well, if you want me to answer that one, yeah. I'll, I'll give it my best shot. Uh, when I came to Texas in 1988, the spring of 88, I was hired to bring Texas basketball, not back, but to bring a program that they never had. It had been the 1940s, uh, the last time Texas had won an NCAA tournament game. Uh, they just, there was no history, there was no uh, there was nothing to it other than we had a great arena at the Irwin Center. But I felt like it was a great situation. That was my thing to turn around programs. And it was after my 17th year, uh, I was an overnight sensation at Rhode Island. And 
we went to the Sweet 16 in my second year there, and uh, we were kind of the darlings of the NCAA tournament that year. And it was a brutal period, uh, meaning competition in the tournament. Uh, you didn't have all these conferences with automatic bids. You had guys like Shaquille O'Neal playing three years before he came out to the NBA. Mm -hmm. It was almost unheard of to have a guy come out early back in that era. So it was a, a very competitive era, maybe the most in the history of college basketball. You'd go to a Final Four and a dozen players were going to be lottery picks uh, in those days. You didn't have uh, guys coming from different countries around the world. You didn't have all these uh, uh, schools that were involved in the tournament. I think there was like 240 teams. Now there are 350 teams in the NCAA. So yeah. it, it was a fun deal for me. Uh, everybody said you can't do it. It's a football school. They don't care about basketball. And all that may have been true. But I said, you know, I'll come and bring a style of basketball that will be entertaining, and uh, we're going to win. And I, I think my athletic director and the people around him didn't believe me. They were going, well, who's this? Who's the next guy coming in that's going to get fired here? <laughs> no, <laughs> well, I, didn't, I didn't feel that way. Tommy can vouch for this. Yeah, I'll, I'll interject a little bit too, Dad, just – because when I came, I was a, a part of the community. I, you know, I was a junior in high school. Yeah. And so I could see the turn of an entire city that, that got on, on the backs of the Longhorns, or the running horns in that, in that case. And it was, it was definitely a, a great ride of, of 10 years. Yeah. The final four is what we're calling this episode because of the weekend. It's uh, happening. We're now down to two and it's sponsored by a guy that you guys probably know, Jim Saxton, uh, a Westlake OG. Uh, Jim Saxton, State Farm Insurance Agency. And for what Tommy was talking about, he, he went to Westlake, multi-sport guy, uh, and played for his dad eventually at Texas as a point guard. And that, that was a, a good part of this story because not only did your dad have the, the, the moniker or title Tournament Tom because – somehow found a way to get these teams to play their best in March. But, Tommy, you also had the title of the Longhorns point guard. I mean, did you – I know coaches' kids received – well, that's not true with you. They, 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 you're not, you were not entitled whatsoever. You no, earned that opportunity. Definitely. I, I can remember coming in and still being quite good as a freshman but not being able to break into the rotation – because I really had to earn it a little bit more than, than maybe another player would. Right. So I, I was very driven and wanted to take advantage of my opportunities and, and having, having an opportunity to play with guys like BJ Tyler and Terrence Wrencher and Reggie Freeman and Roderick Anderson, it, it, it made my job very, very apparent that that I could not turn the ball over and I must create some excitement because I wasn't going to get a lot of shots with that group. So uh, I, I did feel the pressure, uh, coincidentally, and I, I felt it often. But by the time I was midway through my junior year, 
I learned to relax and embrace the role as as a point guard that could never turn the ball over. Coach Penders, uh, uh, Tom, just elaborate on that. I mean, were you a little extra hard on uh, Tommy? Well, maybe a little bit. I want him to earn. <laughs> I want him to earn everything, uh, just like when he was a little kid. If he wanted to go to the Yankee game, he had to clean his room, make his bed, <laughs> and and do what he had to do that week, whatever it was. Uh, that's how I was raised. I have two brothers. That's how my dad raised us. And I had to play for my father. Not had to, uh, but it was harder to break into the starting lineup. He was a legendary baseball coach. Yeah. And in the summertime, we played American Legion ball. And as a, as a freshman, I was a starting center fielder on a great American Legion team. A guy who sat the bench the entire Legion season uh, ended up starting in front of me my sophomore year in high school. And I was fit to be tied uh, to put it mildly, because I was a major league prospect. Had scouts coming to see me, and I'm sitting on the bench. Well, finally, my dad let me pinch hit in about our fourth game, and I hit a triple, and that was one more hit than the guy who was playing in front of me had. And then on the way home, driving in the car, I asked him, what's the deal? Uh, how do I start? What do I have to do? And he said, show up to practice on time tomorrow. I said, well, I haven't been late yet. And he <laughs> said, yeah, I know, because you drove in my car to the baseball field every day. It's not about that. It's about proving that you're better than this guy before you get in there. So I realized it was tough, but I loved playing for my dad. Once I broke through and knew what my role was in baseball, and I think Tommy went through that too, but he, he happened to be playing with the best backcourt in America. I mean, it wasn't yeah, yeah, even close. There's no no question, and, and that that made it easier in some respects uh, mentally to know that you had that cushion uh, playing with some All-Americans <clears throat> and fun. You know, we, we were quite good and, and um, a very close bunch of kids. And I'm I'm thankful I had that opportunity to to play basketball at Texas, and I and I I think I took advantage of it in a way that I'll never forget and I'll never regret. You know, I think both of you made a good statement. I think Tommy said it best uh, when you guys moved to Austin. Uh, the football program was down. Um, basketball was coming off. I don't even know how to describe it and under Bob Wetlick. And I'm not trying to throw people under the bus. And sure. then, you know, the Abe Lemons issue, the whole debacle with that. Abe was, as you guys know, was one of the – he coined more one-liners than I, I think anyone in the history of one-liners in America. Um, but, Tommy, you said it best. Man. You guys, it took the running horns, Tom Penders, the, the elite level of, of guards and, and point guards – took over the city. I mean, if there was a home game at the Irwin Center, there were at least 12,000 people. Exactly. And, 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 and at least uh, I, could, I could tell you this, two years later, 1990, we had the third-rated AAU team in America. Well, by then, it was called BCI uh, back then, but we were the first group to go nationally out of Texas. 
And it was all Austin kids. We had 11 wow. division one scholarship players, you know, guys like, like Chris Clack or no, Chris Clack was before that, but Albert, Albert Burdett, Orlando smart, uh, Sam Campbell, uh, Ray Jackson. We were all on the same, we we're all on the same team. And, and that's, it was just, it was a result. I'm telling you, it was a direct result of the rise of Texas basketball. The high school kids were getting into it. And the next thing you know, in 19, 1990, 1991, we had one of the best AAU teams in the, in the country. Tom, did you, did you notice it? You were starting when you were looking to recruit that there, there's always been talent in Austin, but it, there was more visibility because there was more emphasis because of what you guys were doing on the court at Texas. Yeah, when I first got to Texas, I went to a bunch of AAU games and high school games, and it was unusual to see a score in the 50s, never mind 60s. <laughs> uh, all you heard was squeaking sneakers and whistles at a high school game and in a Southwest Conference game of the week. It was incredibly boring basketball. And, you know, I went around everywhere in Austin when I got there. And before our first season, I spoke in the morning at, at, at luncheons and at dinners almost every night of the week uh, to promote the team and to talk about our style of basketball because Abe Lemons was a mentor of mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, right up until the time he passed away, we were talking on the phone on a regular basis. He was a friend. And when I took the job there, we talked for a long time. And he said, Tom, you got to be entertaining. You, you know, you, you've got to you know, score a lot of points. You got to play exciting basketball. The fans won't come out. Yeah. And I said, well, that'll be no problem uh, with me. That's my style of play. And that's why I was hired. So that's you know, it was an easy transition for me, but you know the main thing was uh, the players having the right group of players, and I was fortunate because I inherited Travis Mays, Lance Blanks, Joey Wright. Joey was a reserve guard at Drake. He averaged one point a game. Lance Blanks scored ten points in two years at Virginia. And they both sat out the year before I got there. There was no predictability for, for them to be as great as they turned out to be. It was all about the style of play yeah. and, and giving players freedom to do what they did well in practice. And, and, you know, taking the stress out of offense for the players. Guys knew their shots. There's a tremendous discipline in that. You know, everybody says, well, you know, what a disciplined team. We got 51, they got 48. No, that's not discipline. That's overcoaching, uh, mismanagement, whatever you want to call it. They're 40 minutes in a basketball game. You should be able to get up at least two shots a minute. That's 80 shots right there. We, you know, we were averaging like 90 shots a game. 95 points a game in the first year. And, and by the way, our average attendance over my 10 years was 13,400 and change. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, and the price of tickets in my last year, my last two years at Texas was higher than the prices two years ago. 
when I was in Austin uh, in 2020 because of COVID. I was there longer than I planned to be. I had planned to be with Tommy and my grandchildren, but we were kind of stuck in Austin. So I went to basketball games before COVID right up to the end, and I couldn't believe it. I thought there was a bomb scare or something. There was nobody in the arena. <laughs> and uh, it's it's so heartening for me to see Chris Beard already create a great fan base. Yeah. Because that's what we did. Uh, and same thing in my first year, we won our first game. We upset a great Georgia Tech team that had three NBA players on it uh, in the first round. And in the second round, we got, we got beat by a great Missouri team. Uh, the, the next year, we were in the Elite Eight. And then, then instead of Turnaround Tom or whatever my nickname was, it was Mr. March, the Texas Monthly. <laughs> well, we're, we're, uh, we, we definitely saw that. We saw all that, and we enjoyed it. That's for sure. Yeah, it was a great period. It was fun, and it, it did change the, the culture of Austin. It, it, it really did. And there were people who did not care about basketball. Now I see those people. They have – you, you guys – as a family, brought them into the Irwin Center, saw that brand. They were hooked, and they've been. And obviously, Rick Barnes has success too. And you know, then Shaka, and now Chris. It's because you of you guys turned that around. You, I don't. The marketing, the indirect marketing occurs, and there are people returning to those games because. Would you uh, believe we you had we had no money uh, for marketing? We didn't even have a marketing person. It was all what we did, what I did, my wife did. Uh, she would go around to HEBs on the days of games with a sign and, and give away tickets in the upper deck somewhere that we bought. Mm -hmm. They weren't free from the I university. I did not know that. We I bought them. Yeah. Uh, just to get that. people to come into the Irwin Center, and the ones that came usually came back. Uh, and, uh, again, the price of tickets – kept going up and up and up, but we never had enough money in our budget to do anything. <laughs> That's surprising. Uh, Times yeah. have changed. See? It's so good to see that because Chris, is, Chris Beard and Tommy knows him. He's a friend of Tommy's. Well, he's also a friend of mine. Uh, you know, he was a manager, and each year I gave him more duties and by his time he was a senior he was doing all of our film work and scouting stuff and uh, now he's the head coach uh chris del conte has brought all kinds of life and energy to the athletic department he's raising uh, all kinds of money uh the new moody center is is, is something i know it's going to be a great great arena one of the best if not the best uh west of the mississippi so yeah i'm looking forward to that uh and now i'm i'm in the fold more uh, we were kind of out left field there for mm. 17 years and shaka uh, had us back i had a reunion in 2014 his first year i believe it was 2014 he had our team back uh, and that was a, an awfully nice gesture but chris del conte uh, hired Chris Beard, and that that might be the best hire uh, in Texas basketball history. I expect him to 
to uh, do great things there. Mm-hmm. And he's already embraced my my 10 years and all the players in it. Has urged them to come back, come by practice, those kind of things. Every coach is different. But the way Chris is doing it is exactly the way I did it. I embraced the Abe Lemons era. We had an mm-hmm. Abe Lemons night in my second season at Texas. We sold out the arena for a bad Texas Tech team that year. I don't think they won a conference game, but it was sold out to come back for Abe Lemons. That's what smart coaches do mm-hmm. to build the fan base or keep the base that was there and then build upon it. I think uh, we're but, on our way back. On our way yeah, back. I agree with Tommy. And Tommy, I, you know, for you, Coach Penders, I, I, I've got to ask you this. You, you know, you've had time since you retired from the game. Um, you've, after a, an incredible career at multiple places, including Texas, Houston, Tufts, Fordham, Rhode Island. But now you get to be the proud dad more. Not that you weren't before, <laughs> but. Tommy's high school basketball coaching career, what he's done. I know Clear Lake's a great program, but it takes a really good coach and staff to continue to develop. And that, and that's what I – it's pretty impressive, Tommy, what you've been able to achieve. And I know it's – for you, it, it's it's hard to say a season was a success and you, unless you reach the ultimate goal. Sure. But how do you feel about where this program is? And, and when you look back, being a coach's son and b- building your own identity, so to speak. Well, well, here at, at Clear Lake, number one, it's a great community. It's a great place to live. But the, the job is very challenging. You're in Houston, which is arguably the number one city in America at this point for, for talent. And, you know, you win 23. We won 23 games this year and didn't make it. So, uh it's it's really really challenging and the only way that that you can survive it's a little bit it's similar to what what my dad was saying is at clear lake they're used to success and it it was definitely a different era Mm -hmm. back then there were fewer schools and and uh now we have five high schools in our district At, at that point there were only two um but if you don't entertain if you don't, it's the same thing my father said. If you can't play an entertaining style of play at, at Clear Lake, number one, you're not going to win because you're going to get out talented and you're going to get out athlete, out, out athleted. But, but uh, if you can't play an exciting brand of basketball, your, your players aren't going to enjoy it, number one. Number two, your fan base is going to shrink dramatically. And, and it, it's always a what's next attitude that, you have to have here at Clear Lake, you know, you win a big game and then you're like, what's next? Because the way our program has been run for, what is it? 51 years now. I I think we're entering our 51st year as a school. Um, We always have a target. So every, everybody, I know it sounds cliche, but everybody is going to play their toughest game Mm -hmm. against us. And, and, um, I had some of this, the same experiences when, when I was at Angleton and we were able to make it all the way to state as mm-hmm. we were at Clear Lake, where we had a lot of talent, but it is it was a team that had never even made the regionals in 77 years as a school. So we had to find a way to to really be hungry and, and to to 
to really have that drive and fever. And, and, you know, I, I learned that at a young age, watching my father's teams play. And I, and I really take a lot of pride in, in conveying that attitude to my players and to my community. And I also think another big, big factor is living in the community that you teach in because high school sports, it, it, if you establish community, win or lose, you're going to have a lot of love and a lot of communication, a lot of affection, a lot of excitement. And at, at both of these schools where I've been fortunate enough to coach at Angleton and Clear Lake, I, my wife and I have lived in the community and, and been a real part of that community. And she even teaches in, in the same school district at the feeder school. So it, it's a great situation. But if you don't have that what's next attitude, yeah, I've, I've been up since six o'clock this morning uh, trying to get things ready, exercise and all that stuff to try to get my mind off of the what's next. But the what's next has come up about 15 times in my mind. I, that's true. I mean, that's what I, I kind of being at Penders, so to speak, you, you, you're always very competitive and, and planning ahead. What are you going to win at? I, I can see all of you because I don't I got, think a lot of I, yeah, I got I got uh, suspended from playing ping pong by my wife because there's a dent, <laughs> there's a dent in the table. Uh, she had gone on an eight zero run. I, I was up I was up twenty to ten, and she went on an eight zero run to cut it to twenty to eighteen. And next thing you know, there's a dent. And I'm telling you, the thing's oh. folded up over there. I'm suspended. <laughs> so time out. <laughs> yeah, it happened. It happened. I understand. And that, you know, that, that's funny you bring that up because this is uh, what I've noticed about the family tree that you guys have. There are more, it seems like there are more baseball, as, as, as Coach Penders mentioned. And that that's to this. I mean, a former point guard for UConn, and I, I say Tom's love, but the entire family love for baseball and i gotta bring this one photo up sure. i think you guys know what i'm about to share here it is black and white usually that ages people but i don't think we're we get offended in this space uh this one right here just a good yukon husky playing baseball um <laughs> which one is you coach i'm on the left that's what i was going to guess but i wasn't sure and my older brother jimmy it's on my right. He was the captain of the 1965 uh, Co College World Series UConn team, and I was a center fielder. He batted leadoff, and I batted second. That was the only time we were able to play on the same team until, I mean, you have to go all the way back to when we played Little League ball. I was nine. He was 12. Uh, I didn't get to play much, but I got to see him. He was a great baseball player who had designs and dreams of being a major league baseball player. And that's all he ever wanted to do was play baseball. Uh, I fell in love with basketball when I was about eight or nine years old, going to high school practices on Saturday because my dad was the athletic director and baseball coach at the high school. And every Saturday morning, he would go to the office and I could roam around and watch practice and maybe bother one of the players later after practice to, to have a shooting game with them, whatever. 
but I developed a, a, a passion for basketball because I had to, I had to stay busy. I was one of those kids that if I wasn't doing something constructive, I was probably getting in trouble. I was the middle son of three boys. And then I had a baby sister arrive when I was 12 years old. Uh, but we, it was the three of us uh, inventing games. But my two, my younger brother, my older brother were strictly baseball players. Uh, where I even, even during the summertime when I played a baseball game, after it was over, I'd come home, take my uniform off, and dribble a basketball about five blocks to the schoolyard and shoot to 11 o'clock at night. I'd have a couple hours every night uh, because I loved the game. I didn't need anybody else to work on my skills. In baseball, you have to have a pitcher, an outfielder, and a catcher or up against the wall or you, you can't play baseball. Same with football. Basketball, it's just you, the ball, and the basket. Uh, every year, kids would come back and say, oh, yeah, coach, I worked on my jump shot. I'm a, I can really stick it now from the outside. And then the first day of practice, he's 0 for 17, uh, and he can't hit a free throw, which tells any coach that this kid never picked up a basketball in the offseason. Nobody ever had to tell me to do it because I loved it. And Tommy was exactly the same way. Uh, yeah. He was one of those kids. He had to be busy all the time. Uh, and basketball kept him busy. Uh, when I wasn't around, he could go downstairs in our apartment building and shoot on the basket down there. Uh, when he was a little bit older and we had a house, uh, we had a basket put up immediately. And we could always hear that ball bouncing outside. We knew where he was. No, it's uh, definitely the, the great point, Dad. I, I, baseball's incredible sport. It, it's probably, I, I, I bet my dad would say it's our favorite sport. Yeah. Uh, I love to play baseball. I, I was I was also very good at baseball, but I worked at basketball. I, I enjoyed basketball, and and incidentally, my my grandfather, as you mentioned, was the all time leading winningest coach in the state of Connecticut wow. high school. And he got surpassed by his son, my uncle Jim, the same guy in that photo. Oh my goodness. So that's that that's uh and he he <laughs> ended up the all-time winningest coach in Connecticut baseball history. But but yeah, I I like like my dad had referred to, I learned the game myself from from my father's players at Fordham in, in the Bronx. I, I would get on a train after school and I would get off at Fordham Road and, and I would walk. One of the managers would pick me up because you're in the you're in the Bronx on Fordham or Jerome Avenue, Fordham Road, that area, and um, and take me to practice. And and I can remember guys that were injured. I specifically Jerry Hobby. He he taught me how to shoot. I I would stay for hours and play open gym with college kids when I was ten and eleven. But but in baseball, I would never do that. As much as I love baseball, as much as my father loved baseball, I'm kind of a nut job. I, I, I have a lot of energy. I don't eat candy because you don't want to see me on sugar. Um, <laughs> if I had to coach baseball, it would be like having to live in Waco for four years. I'd, I'd be bored. I don't know. I don't know what I do. I'm just kidding, Waco. We love you. Chip and Joanna. He was kidding. <laughs> he was kidding. 
<laughs> but, but baseball, baseball is is definitely our love. I, I we're we're huge Yankee fans, and my daughter's name is Mattingly. Oh, after beautiful. after Don Mattingly, my son's name is Jackson. As you can imagine, Reggie, you know, we, we love the game. We love the game, but but there's no way that I would be a part of coaching it. I admire my cousins and and my my uncle and my grandfather for doing it, but. I just have too much energy. Uh, I get it. I, I'm scared. Yeah, you have, you have to be extremely patient yeah. to be a baseball coach. Oh. Uh, I'm not very patient. Never was. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would either fall asleep in the dugout or get thrown out of every yeah. game. I'd, uh, I'd be thrown out of every game. Yeah. yeah. It, oh, yeah. It's, it's too slow. But I, as, yeah. a, as a three-year-old boy, I learned how to hit. Uh, my dad was a great teacher of fundamentals. And I learned how to hit the proper way. And baseball came very easy to me when I got older because of that. It's like a golf swing. Yeah. yeah. If you don't play until you're 40 years old, you're never going to have a good golf swing. I don't care how much you work at it, mm -hmm. in my opinion. That's just that I'm speaking from experience there. Because yeah. <laughs> I never played golf until I moved to Texas. Didn't even have a set of clubs or or golf shoes, uh, and I learned how to play. I got to be pretty good, then my back started bothering me. Uh, so golf's a great game, too. You can play that by yourself. Yeah. But, you know, you can also lie about your score and all these <laughs> other things. Or kick the ball out of the woods. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Basketball, uh, you knew who won. If you're playing <laughs> another guy, you knew who won all the time. And maybe that's why my brothers never wanted to play basketball with me, uh, because they knew that I was pretty good at it. And we were all we were all very competitive, uh, yeah. particularly my older brother, who, who I'm very close with. You know, his his uh, oldest son Jimmy is the head baseball coach at UConn, and has brought UConn baseball back to the level it was at when I was in school. You know, and NCAA tournaments. They haven't quite made Omaha yet, but George they Springer, the regional. George and Springer's I, a good product. Yeah, well, there's a bunch of them. Barnes. I th I think, yeah, there's like there's like eight players they got, that they got played a short for stop. him. They got a shortstop in the major leagues. It's quite good. The Diamondbacks. Almond. Uh, um, Almond. Um, yeah. Yeah. Almond. Um, well, yeah. yeah. Fellas, we got a we got a we got this this see this square right here. Mm -hmm. you, you've probably heard of it. Uh, there, are, it's been quite visible lately. Um, we have become a very commercialized society, uh, and you know, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and just throw this out here: women love their men groomed, and that that leads us to this new segment that we have. I'm not going to play the entire promotion; just a little transition, if you will. Hey. Yes. Manscaped.com is one of our sponsors here. And then, you know, we do the manscaping in the uh, man cave. Um, yeah, they have the great tools, the lawnmower 4.0. They call it the uh, weed whacker for, you know, those nasal hairs. I've noticed that as soon as I hit 45, all of a sudden I had a, an Amazon forest in my nose. I don't know. Why. <laughs> <laughs> and my ears and. So that takes care of that. 
And the, the lawnmower 4.0 just keeps you clean. And now they've launched to the shower gels, the deodorant, and they're jumping. And, and I'll, I'll got to say the smell for that, it smells like sweet mahogany and pheromones. Holy cow. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> sounds, sounds great. It sounds amazing. Sounds great. <laughs> so to take advantage, you have an opportunity. There's a promo code right Right here. See, I can't get my hands straight. Go to manscaped.com and place whatever products any of you guys across the country or in Texas here in Austin. Uh, but be sure to use the promo code mancave 20 to get your 20% off. And now that segment's over. Here's the best part. There have been some epic stories. You mentioned one of them. Ray Jackson told one several last year. Chris Clack. Um, now that he has a, a incredibly talented daughter who's entering the national scene, he had a great one, but there's been so many. And by the way, that's sponsored by Honest AC and Plumbing in Hutto, Texas. Uh, they still believe in handshakes. Not many people do anymore. So, gentlemen, a man cave story as we wrap up segment one. Is there one that maybe you two shared, maybe from the Texas days or – Growing up elsewhere that you guys still laugh about to this day? Well, I, I, I can tell you one for <laughs> sure is I was uh, I was going through a period of struggle during my sophomore year. Um, our, our star All-American had broken his foot and I had to lift off my red shirt. And I, I played quite a bit that season. And actually, I, I played pretty well, but but we were struggling. And um, it was it was a practice, very competitive practice. And I probably had had a, a poor game the game before. And I went in, I made I made a move, penetrated into the paint and he calls traveling on me, my father. And he had been on us and been on me in particular. And I threw the ball at him like a, a normal pass, like a normal pass. But I, I threw it at him kind of hard and he caught the ball with two hands and he picked it up in his hands just like this and he crow hopped and he threw that thing like it was dodgeball and it hit me it hit me on the hip and the 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 whole team the whole team you could see their eyes just light up like this because we never we would never fight we we hardly talked because because you know his father's son playing on yeah. the same team we, 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 they were shocked and, and uh about 10 seconds later everybody broke into laughter except for me <laughs> I, I was the only one i was the only one so i i, I could tell you I'll, I'll never forget that moment and i'll never forget that crow hop that that he threw that ball with I, it, it was still had it. it was priceless it's probably why he he had that elbow problem uh, a couple of years later. Remember that, Dad? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, they had to replace my ulnar nerve. <laughs> from that throw? You had Tommy John from that throw? Yeah. <laughs> Man, fellas, that is great. And I, I know you guys have so many, and that, that's for another time, another show, maybe in person. Um, but – we're going to take a quick break, and when we jump on the other side, we'll start talking Final Four and your good friends, uh, Bill Self, and pay tribute 
to Coach K. Episode 129 returns with the Penders boys, and that is coming up after this short break. For all of your insurance needs, look no further than our primary sponsor, Jim Saxton State Farm Insurance Agency. The ATX OG has been insuring Austin for over three decades. And get this, Jim Saxton is a Longhorn legacy. He is the son of the late, great James Saxton, who was a Heisman finalist. Be sure to give him a call or better yet, visit his website, saxtoninsurance.com and tell him that the stories inside the Man Cave Boys recommended you. This is JJ Gotch, CEO of the Austin Gamblers. And segment two of Stories Inside the Man Cave is next. But it's not going to feel like anything like Monday night if we come ready to play. Men, you're playing for a national championship. All right? The best is still yet to come. Like a champion. Let's go! Let's go! All right, it's Final Four time, the best time of year, arguably, especially for these two, Tom and Tommy Penders. I I have to admit it, gentlemen, I didn't think that this year's Kansas team was a Final Four team. I, I, I love Bill Self, but I really didn't think this was it. I mean, am I, was am I wrong to have that opinion about Kansas, even though they're a good team? But I didn't see Final Four good. Go ahead, Dad. I didn't either. Uh, um, in November, I was inducted into the Collegiate Hall of Fame, and Bill Self was there. It was in Kansas City. He had already been inducted. Uh, but we've been friendly ever since he started coaching. Uh, he was an assistant for Eddie Sutton when we first started playing Oklahoma State. I knew I knew him and have enjoyed watching him coach. It seems to me that he takes teams that aren't his best uh, to the Final Four or Elite Eight, and some of his teams that he predicts or that everybody predicts are going to be really great, they don't quite make it. They get knocked out in maybe the Sweet 16. And let's face it, when you're a number one seed, uh, you've got a you got a chance to roll to the Final Four if you right. play good basketball. If those seedings mean anything, this year I didn't think one through twelve you could pick anybody, yeah. and, and and nobody had a gripe. Uh, and and Bill got his team playing really well, and uh, the end of the season, and. They won the Big 12 and all that, which really doesn't mean much in today's world. It's what you do in March. If you win the Big 12 and you get knocked out in your opening round, uh, you know, the tournament, everybody's going to say, what in the world's going on there? Yeah. Uh, coach doesn't know what he's doing. But Bill Self is an excellent coach. Hmm. He's, a, he's a great in-game strategist. Uh, he'll, he'll change things at halftime. He won't change them in the first half, but at halftime, he'll change them to surprise the other coach and team coming out in the second half. That's what I love about him as a coach. He runs some really nice stuff on offense. His teams are always sound defensively, uh, and they'll run 
If they yeah. can get out and run, they're really, really effective. The you best know, way to beat them, I think, is to kind of manage the game the way Chris Beard did. Yeah. yeah. Shorten the game a little bit. Uh, and then you keep a out of the game, take them out. Chris Beard was the first coach to do that, by the way. And everybody job. else tried to do it. And, uh, uh, Dad, you make a great point on that. I, about three weeks ago, I was watching a game. It was at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. And uh, it seemed like Texas and Kansas were fouling each other every possession. <laughs> and Kansas had no rhythm at all. Um and I turned off the game. I, I was I was bored, uh, hoping that Texas would. Uh, we were up. Texas was up two or three at the point that mm -hmm. I turned it off. And but but like what Dad said. Well, you're not a real Texas fan, then, Tom. Well, I, had to, I had to go work out, Dad. But uh, but they they disrupted the flow. And and there's there's one thing that Bill Self does that he doesn't get it. Well, he gets a lot of credit, but I think a lot of people don't see is that he's not a system guy. He changes the way his team plays every single season. Some some years they're a straight-up, high-low, grinded-out, uh, black-and-blue, I-will-punish-you type offense. And, and then this year they they really look to push it. They, they look to get out and, and feed off of Remy Martin, who is hurt, I believe, for, for quite, mm -hmm. quite a big part of the season. So if you look at all these teams, incidentally um, – they're, they all are led by a, a point guard that's about 5'10", 5 5'11", 5 6 feet, maybe even 6'1". Um, I, I think what we're seeing is, is coaches understanding the importance of having somebody small and quick that can really, really impact the game and the pace that the game's being played at. Villanova did the same thing. Yeah. Uh, that the the development of the Roach kid from Duke this year has been fun to watch, and and of course uh, the Carolina guards uh, just fabulous on both ends. And you can't you could see Duke last night. They were they were trying. They had to speed up the game, and so they had to aggressively play the high ball screens. They had to switch some, and it created some mismatches. But the only way that Duke could score consistently would be to to run. And, you know, Carolina didn't turn the ball over, and and I think that's the reason why they won. And it, it, it makes a good point that you, you mentioned Villanova. I felt badly for Villanova, but it's like when you and I texted uh, yesterday, it, when you have one of your key guys down, mm -hmm. and you said it best, they were flat. Yeah, dad, dad, my my father had predicted that he when really? uh, the Achilles. I think we we had talked right after that, and he said that uh, he, the kid from Villanova had hurt his Achilles. And I said, you know, I, I saw that, and I said that's that's an Achilles. And I said he's not coming back. And and Dad, you had said they're they're in trouble now. So you were right. Well, it's a guards game. Yeah, and always has been a guards game when they put the three point line in there. And yesterday, you saw North Carolina bomb away from the outside and then drive and attack the basket. But look at the total of three point shots made by North Carolina. I think Duke made one or two the entire mm -hmm. game. Uh, that's what decides these games. Uh, that, that's what wins in March. You have to have great three-point shooting. 
uh, consistent three-point shooting, and Duke didn't have that. They were up and down all year. They were relying on Bancaro and, uh, you know, not their guards for all their three-point shooting. They never had a three-guard look at all this year. Uh, they, they weren't a great ball-handling team. Uh, they were a physical team that could run and a great rebounding team. But North Carolina, their strength is rebounding. They send three guys at least after every shot that they take, and their guards are, are, are advanced. They're really good guards. And that's what the story always boils down to. Guard play, Yep. can they take care of the ball, mm -hmm. three-point shooting, offense, and if you can't defend against it, you're in trouble today. The old help and recover defenses of the 80s and early 90s are dead today because kids can all shoot the three. Mm -hmm. uh, that's all they practice. Yeah. If you watch yeah. kids, if you watch kids walk out on the floor in high school or college before the whistle blows or the horn goes off for practice time, they're all working on three-point shooting. <laughs> Uh, nobody true. works on their inside moves or, mm -hmm. or driving, jump stopping, and shooting until the coach gets on the floor. Uh, and Jay Wright, uh, it was hard to watch uh, that they couldn't play a little bit better without that kid more. Uh, but that was the story of the game. Yeah. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't have enough talent on the floor to beat a good Kansas team that was playing well. But Kansas has a a unique team for Bill Self. Uh, it, it's it's going to be fun, but watch and see who's hitting the threes, who's defending the threes. Yeah. Carolina did Always a great key. job of taking threes away. Uh, Duke didn't get many open threes, and when they had those few, they didn't make them, and, and Carolina was knocking them down. Uh, their guards were knocking them down throughout the game, and then Manic, he's been in some kind of zone. Yeah. It, yeah, if if I'm Hubert Davis, I don't snap my fingers near him because he may come out of it. He you, just you know catches funny. it and shoots in the same motion if his back is turned to the basket. Yeah, sideways, it's going <laughs> up, baby, and it's going to have ice on it. It goes so high in the air, but he can shoot it. And yeah, he's been great. He's good. He's yeah, really Carolina good. is feeling it. And it should be a great game. I, I, I look for, wait. I look for an '80s, you know, '85 to '83 yep. game, uh, last possession. It's going to be an exciting final, and it'll be good for college basketball. Watch, it'll Agree. be 48-47. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. So you know, OU is hating life because Manic was once a Sooner, and yeah. that's the bitter part for OU. But I think. Regardless of who wins this tournament, I think all of us here and all college basketball enthusiasts, purists, coaches, you know, it, you all of us have an expiration date on what we do. And it was it was hard last night, bittersweet to see what happened. You loved what happened for Hubert Davis in the Tar Heels, but it was Coach K's last go round, and this was their reaction after the game last night about that. And Hubert first. And it's hard to ask the winning coach about ending a legend's career, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I told them that yeah, um, uh, how happy I am that I get a front row seat just to be able to for them to go through this season and go through these experiences. 
It's a blessing for me. It's a privilege. It's an honor. Those are the things that I'm thinking about. You know, um, Coach K is unbelievable, and that team is the best team so far that we have played. And um, we just happen to make some more plays tonight. You're either going to come out feeling great or you're going to feel agony. But you always will feel great about being in the arena. And I'm sure that that's the thing when I'll look back that I'll miss. I won't be in the arena anymore. But damn, I was in the arena for a long time. And these kids, you know, made my last time in the arena uh, an amazing one. I didn't mean to cut you off, Coach Penders, but (laughs) that kind of hits you guys a little bit, I'm sure. Yeah, well, you know, Mike is a friend. And he was he was one of the guys that nominated me for the Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, we played against each other in college. We coached against each other when he was at West Point, and I was coaching at Columbia in my early years at Fordham. And then he went down to to coach at Duke in 1980, uh, and I was at Fordham was starting my third season. So we go way back. And the only time we ever met in a tournament, it was a heartbreaking loss uh, in the Sweet 16. And he was so classy afterwards. Uh, you know, we, we embraced at half court and, and, and he, he, he said something I don't quite remember. But in his press conference, he spent most of the press conference talking about me and what I was doing at Rhode Island. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a great man. Uh, he's a West Point graduate, and I have all the respect in the world for anybody that mm-hmm. that can get through West Point. Uh, and, you know, he was in there during tough times with the Vietnam War on. But, you know, we've been friends. I've watched him from afar. I only had to coach against him once when he was wearing that Duke blue. But he's a good person. He's been great for college basketball. And losing yesterday... Uh, made me a little bit sad, but I was happy for Hubert Davis too, because, you know, he replaced Roy Williams and the program had gone down in Roy's last three years there. Uh, They were playing flat basketball. Roy was complaining about having to coach uh, less talent than he was used to uh, in his last couple of years. And and then uh, (laughs) Hubert comes in and he's in the NCAA finals. He did a great coaching job this year, so I, I'm happy for him. Um, there are a lot of Carolina fans that are smiling now. Oh, absolutely. The question, the question mark, the big one, is on Coach Shire now at Duke, and it'll be fun to see what he does because it's impossible to follow a legend like that. It really is. Just, just ask Fred Akers and Charlie Strong. Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah. <laughs> That's a uh, that's a great peers perspective on Coach K, and from a fan's perspective, because this time of the year now I'm I'm pretty much a fan of college basketball, and not 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 coaching in college basketball, and um, from a fan's perspective, you have a lot of people that are happy that that he's out of the game because they hated Duke but I can guarantee you one thing they liked and respected coach K. So, uh, but they, they might've gotten tired of watching Duke 
be in the final four. It seems like every year, even though it wasn't. Um, but, but that's what Tommy. That's the way it is anywhere you yeah, go. It's, it's like, just like it's just like the Houston Astros. It's like you, you know. I mean, you 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 respect the success of Coach K, and and you realize what he's done for the game, um, and how he competed, and and even he even um, ended up beating out North Carolina and became a more solid program. And that's so hard to do. And then, like Dad said you feel great for Hubert Davis. He coaches just like he played. He, he played with a, with a very reserved manner, very calm, very tough. And you're seeing a lot of that in his coaching. So you, you have to feel great for, for Hubert Davis because obviously he loves that program, North Carolina. Um, And I thought he answered the question, about coach K and being, being his final game. I thought he answered it properly, um, yeah. but I know I'm, I'm going to miss watching Duke and, and with coach K. And I, I like, like dad said, I, I think there's a lot of pressure on Shire now to see if he can get anywhere close to the accomplishments that have gone place over the years. I, I'll give him some advice, Tom, win 25 games and take another job. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Because he's never going to measure up. No. Uh, It's a tough follow. Let me put it that way. Um, You know, and everybody hates the Yankees except the Yankee fans. Uh, Everybody hates Texas. Uh, In the Southwest Conference, Coach Darrell Royal, who was like my second father and a real mentor, who helped me, he said, Tom, he said, every school in this league hates Texas. Every referee that's going to referee your game hates Texas because they didn't get in here. You know, they're at other Southwest Conference schools. All the fans at SMU uh, hate Texas because none of them got into the University of Texas. They all wanted to go there. And that's so true. I didn't realize that till I got down there and I had the job. You know, we see these fans rushing the court. Heck, after one year of coaching at Texas, everybody was rushing the court when they beat us on the road. It was crazy. But, you know, that's what it was. And then there are a lot of people out there that hate me. Uh, I don't really care uh, as long as it's not my own fans. And I had a love affair with a, <laughs> I had a love affair with the fans in Texas. I still do. And uh, never got booed by our fans. Uh, it was an amazing 10 years, uh, and uh, it flew by. It just yeah, it did. But it's it's very much a part of me. And now that Chris Beard is back and Tommy's coaching in Texas, I have a lot of reasons to spend a lot of time in Texas now. Uh, and go. that's, that's I hope great. you're right. I hope you do. Uh, Come yeah. on. I have no doubt. I, I, I told everybody – that Chris Beard would win, he'd get to the tournament, and he'd win. I didn't say he was going to win the whole thing. I didn't say he was going to be in the Sweet 16. They they won the first game. I've never seen this in an NCAA game. 49 foul shots to 12. Yep. It was like the old Southwest Conference (laughs) and going up and trying to beat TCU at their place. You know, 100 free throws shot during those games. But that's how it is. Uh, Chris Remember. Beard, 
<laughs> Chris Beard will just build on it, and you'll see the talent level improve every year. Kids are going to want to play for him. He's a great coach. Uh, he knows he knows how to teach. He's a tough guy, uh, but he, it's tough love. You know, he can get on somebody, but then put his arm around that kid on the way off the floor of practice, or or have him over for dinner. That that's how Chris is. He's yeah. he's, he's an incredible person who's doing all the right things, recruiting all the right kids. Uh, I think he's going to have, if he isn't already, he's going to have a super recruiting class. Yeah, he, he he's going to do it. I mean, I know Tommy. I, there's only so much you can say being a high school coach. I know, I know you're not a recruit, but have they the circles? You, you're you're sure. intertwined with all these guys. The the, the fraternity is he about as original to deal with than most? Oh, no they, doubt. It, I know from my standpoint, having known them since we were both 19 years old helps. Uh, oh, that does. But we, if you go to a coaching clinic, which which we've been at clinics together for years, he's always out. He's one of the regulars. He, he'll he talk to anybody. He's a lot like my father was as, yeah. as a coach. Um, he, he's meat and potatoes, uh, which which I love. He, he's he's very tough, simple wants to do things the right way, but he does it with, with some spice. You, you yeah. know, I, he, he is fun to play for his style of play. Just like coach self, it's going to change from year to year. He had to be a little bit more rugged and physical this year. The kids will like playing for him, but as as a high school coach, the coaching fraternity in the state of Texas, the high school coaching fraternity really likes coach beard. Yeah. And, um, we, we have a lot of coaches that that we feel that way about. And, and Chris Beard is is one of those many examples of of a guy that high school coaches really love and appreciate. And he, he's going to do just fine at Texas. And Texas is not an easy job. And, and going to the SEC is going to be difficult, just like it was in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. But if there's anybody tough enough, because again, you have to have that mentality, that toughness mentality, that meat and potatoes, grinded out mentality. If there's anybody tough enough to do it, it's Chris. Yeah, I agree. And it's it's uh the SEC, people think just football. That's becoming a much better basketball league. And it's, it, I think there's players there's players everywhere. Uh and just just playing here in Houston last year in the playoffs. We played Shadow Creek, and um, you know one of their players is going to LSU, and and you know how good the kid is, and then you turn on LSU, and the kid's not even in the regular rotation, and it, and you know that that's how that's how deep that conference is in terms of talent. They they have kids from everywhere in Texas, uh, and and of course some of those states that that the SEC schools are are in Florida. South Carolina, Georgia, Louisiana. They have some great players in those states, Missouri, you name it. So it it is not going to be an easy road at all. As great as the Big 12 was for basketball, right now it's it's going to be really difficult in basketball. And and Chris Chris will do just fine. But it, it's not going to be easy, I'm telling you. You're going to see you're going to see a team with a with an 11 and 8 
or 11 and seven conference record, get to the final four and probably win a national championship. You know, that's, and look at Carolina. They're, they're an example of that right now. They're the best story next to St. Peter's this year in this tournament. Yeah. They, they struggled early. They had some injury problems. They had some, some issues getting, getting used to Hubert Davis's style of play and, they just found a way to grind it out. And and that's that's what I'm finding out. This the generation that we're living in right now, if you're not tough and if you don't grind it out and if you don't find a way to keep your kids engaged, there's you have no chance. So obviously Davis has found a way to toughen these kids up, to keep them engaged because it's all about instant gratification. You see these kids running away every every year. And they go home if 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 they're if they're happy on uh, Twitter, and then they get bored, and they go to their PlayStation. They get bored with that, and then they play uh, with their Oculus, and then they get tired of that, and then maybe they'll touch a basketball. But so you have to find a way to to keep these kids engaged. And at Carolina, there is so much talent on that basketball court, and and for years and years, as as a coach, I would watch that talent and say. You know they they play a little bit of wine and cheese. They, they're they're a little bit stylist, you know. And and this team that Carolina puts out on the floor, they're tough. They get loose balls. They get deflections. They make the small plays. And I think they're changing the culture over there. I think it's much different. Well, I'd like like to add a little something. Tommy's uh, right about North Carolina, but that's all Hubert Davis. Uh, it wasn't happening under Roy Williams. Uh, Roy was used to having seven all, all Americans or McDonald's All Americans every year coming in there. Uh, so, you know, you can't keep doing that. And you, and when you have a team that can't get up and down the floor like he had with uh, those great Carolina and Kansas teams. I remember uh, playing against uh, Kansas. You had uh, Rafe LaFrance, Jacques Vaughn, and Paul Pierce. We beat that team when I was uh, assistant coach at exactly. Rhode Island, by the I way, in the, second round, say that. in the second round of the tournament. <laughs> yep. Uh, I think I gave you a scouting report. Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, Roy – at the end of his career uh, was, I mean, it was a soft product coming out of North Carolina. Uh, you could see it. And, and they weren't the all lottery pick types that used to go to Carolina. Uh, it's all what the coach wants to do. Uh, can, a, can a run and gun, the way we play, uh, make it today? Yeah. As long as you get players that can do the things that you like to do. Tommy knows when I coached at Columbia and Fordham, I had to slow the ball game down against North Carolina when we played them. Uh, We played a brutal schedule at Fordham. Mm -hmm. But I like to run. That's how I played in college. And that's how I coached in high school. And all the years before I got to Columbia and Fordham, you had to learn to coach all the different ways. And then you then you have the ability to decide what your team can and cannot do. And that happens in your November games and in your practices. And then if you can't adjust, 
uh, and figure out that you need to be running more or you need to press on defense. Uh, it's all in the head coach. Yeah. Uh, and and Hubert Davis has been around. He, he not only is the head coach at Carolina, he was an assistant coach in the NBA and a darn good one. And a lot of people that I knew at the NBA level said that they thought Hubert would be a great NBA coach that like eight or, eight or ten years ago. And he proved it when he read the riot act to Carolina after they got blown out by 40 against Wake Forest on the road. He was so upset he had a press conference and, and really called out his team about being soft and he was going to shorten his rotation. And if they couldn't deal with that, they could sit down the end near the Gatorade and enjoy the game from there. And, and that's how you have to coach at the college level, in my opinion. You can't have a la-di-da, oh, just stroking the kids all the time. They'll end up driving your car and sitting in your office with their feet up on your desk if you let them. 18 to 22-year-olds need a little bit of discipline. 100%. And what I mean by that is be on time, practice hard, be a good teammate, and be coachable. If you're not coachable, you can't play at Carolina. You can't play at Duke. You can't play at Texas. The undisciplined or uncoachable teams, you see it every night on ESPN. You'll see these teams with an 8-10 and 10 record, you know, with the coach yelling and screaming at kids and every time out or as they're coming off the floor, or teams that can't win in March, the same coaches, you know, the ones, the jockeys, I call them, they're riding the horse. When it's March, you know, don't scream at your players. Don't yell at them in front of millions of viewers on television, but some coaches do. And those coaches usually go home after the first weekend or before their second game in the NCAA tournament. I think in Hubert Davis, you see a guy who's enjoying the ride, but he's coaching the hell out of his basketball team. And Bill Self, nobody's going to out-coach him. Uh, you might you might fool him for five minutes, but he's going to come back at you with something. So this That's game, right. this game's Monday is going to have a lot of coaching in it, but not over-coaching. I think you're going to see a high-scoring, exciting game and I think that style is, is the way to win and recruit. Uh, it is for Gonzaga. They're always one of the highest scoring teams in the country every single year. They just don't know how to compute that into March success like they'd like. But they will. Uh, they they got to get tougher. They got to get tougher. Yeah, I agree with that. They're not yeah, as you got to be tough. You got to be tough. You got to dive on the floor. Yep. You got to draw charges. Tommy knows our practices were harder than games. Yeah. It wasn't that I was running around yelling and screaming at the players. It's just we had competitors, kids who oh, competed. And, and, and we also wanted to be there. Right. And the in only our... guys I had problems with in my 10 years at Texas, as a matter of fact, in my almost 40 years as a head coach, were the kids that didn't want to be coached, who weren't about team, uh, and they weren't tough. Yeah. Uh, if you weren't tough, they never should have signed a dotted line and come to Texas. Uh, you're not going to get yelled and screamed at when you play for me, but you were expected to play hard every single day. If you didn't, you moved down. 
everybody came to practice knowing that was the way. Uh, and, you know, that style, that act is something that'll go for the ages. Uh, when you see these coaches over controlling their teams or playing a tempo that their players can't play, uh, then you're going to see a coaching change. There you go. And that's uh, real quick before we wrap things up. I, I definitely want to hear from both of you real quick on a salute to the Irwin Center. It's Dunsey's in, in April. I, I mean, it's. I'm trying to realize that it. it ha, I have no control over it. There's a there's a hospital, but I think all three of us <laughs> combined, we have a ton of memories in, under that roof. Sure, I I'll start with that one since Dad's had more games in there. But uh, I, I'll start with my first basket. Um, of my sophomore year. Um, it was a, it was an up and under and I wouldn't expect I had been red shirting and uh, I'll never forget up and under and getting an and one off the backboard um, from beating, beating Kurt Thomas and TCU by about 28 when they were, they were ranked in the, in the top 10. Um, but the biggest moment for me was, was actually as a coach, um, having won three Southwest Conference titles as a, as a player, which I look back on and I, I think is incredible. Um, but being able to go back and coach there in the state semifinals against South Oak Cliff and Darrell Arthur, you know, Slim Shady, and seeing seeing all of all of the people that worked at the Irwin Center because I spent a lot of time in there. I was I was a gym rat. I would stay after and shoot threes and come early and shoot threes. And, and all the people that worked in the Irwin Center were still working there. And and seeing them and seeing my my old uh, college teammates, the the old alumni and fans that used to watch me play, and and playing that game in front of about fourteen thousand. We did lose 94-91 in what some say was one of the best high school basketball games ever played in that arena. So it, it was a thrill to, to play there, especially to, it was a thrill to, to play for my father and, and win three Southwest Conference titles in there. And um, but but more so, it was it was even more of a thrill to go in there as a man leading leading his Angleton team in there against South Oak Cliff and Darrell Arthur. I remember that like yesterday. Yeah. That was amazing. Talk about getting up and down the floor. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Coach, is there one? I mean, Well, there are so many. There's, there's the Arkansas game, the, oh. the last game with oh, Arkansas. The one we, won. <laughs> uh, we won 99 to 88. Uh, and it wasn't that close. It was a it was a blowout. It was they were number four in the country, and they were going to the SEC. It was their last game, and and we knocked them off. That was Joey Wright was the leader and captain of that ball club. He's a guy that should be in the Hall of Honor. I don't know why he's not there. He was part of the BMW, and to leave him out of there, uh, somebody has some splaining to do. <laughs> Uh, but my happiest and Lucy. most memorable uh, time as a coach and as a father, 
uh, was in the same game, the same play. <laughs> Tommy threw a full court. Pass. Oh, that's right. He, he, you know, they tried to put a somebody up on him, a big guy. It he was Van Horn. Up. It was Keith Van Horn yeah. was on me both times. Oh, exactly. Utah. Yeah. And we had Tremaine Wingfield flash to the post area, and it's something we've worked on. Uh, but it, it's like 10% chance of happening. <laughs> Tommy threw two passes that were right on the money, and Tremaine Wingfield caught it in the air and spun at the same time and banked it in to tie Utah. And then in overtime, with about 2.4 seconds left, he threw the same pass. It was the same play. And Van and Horn was in the same spot on me. Yep. And Rick Majerus stayed that week in Austin because they, their school was closed. There was nothing but snow back at Utah, and they had to go to Florida to play a game. So instead of going to Florida, he stayed in Austin and came over to our house and ate every night. Uh, and all he could talk about was the timekeeper. And finally, after and, and Rick and I are very close friends. After two days of hearing that, I said, "Rick, can I ask you a question? Why did you put a man up on the ball when you can go back ten feet? You can go all the way up into the stands almost." To, to eliminate that guy and throw over him. And why did you have the guy make the free throw? Yeah. yeah. You know, they were down one. The kid made one. He made, I mean, he made one. And then if he misses, it was tie ball game. I'm sorry. Kid had a breakaway. We fouled him. And he goes to the foul line with, you know, a half a second left or three-tenths of a second left. And he makes the first to put him up one, and then he misses the second. Yeah. And, and the game's over. And Rick said, wow, that'll never happen again. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you see it come up in college basketball. You know, you, you, you've got a, a two-point lead. There's a second left. They don't have any timeouts left. Why make that free throw? Yeah, hit it off the rim. They touch yeah, it, the well, we must starts, have been down. Game's over. Tom, the more I think of it, uh, we must have been down three. No, Tremaine no, was in a – Tremaine was – it was. they were both twos, I think. Yes, they were both the second twos. They line, were inside the three-point arc above the free throw line. He caught it like a – like a like Romelo Lukaku would for Chelsea, uh, the – the, the striker with his back to the basket, like like he would catch it, like a soccer striker would catch it with his back, and he was sealing him, and he caught it, and he faked right real quick and went up. The second one was tremendously off balance. The first one made it in off the backboard. What a what a moment, Dad! That that was that was an incredible game. Well, Man. there were only three tenths of a second left, and yeah. they put in a rule after that because yep. our timekeeper in Austin. At, at the university, he was the worst. Late in the game, you know, we we don't want the clock to run out. We're behind. A whistle blows out on the floor, and three seconds would run yeah. off the clock, and the, the refs would have to come over 
look at the television and put back three seconds all the time. That's so true. this time he might have been a little slow, but it wasn't intentional. It wasn't to help us. <laughs> but Tremaine on the first one had to catch it in the air and shoot. The second one, he had time to, yeah. to fake, turn around, and, and nail it. But Tremaine uh, Wingfield from Clute, Texas. Great guy. Okay. Great guy. So I don't I, I he went to Louisville first, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yes, he Great did. Kid. We recruited him. Very hard, uh, but when we when we entered and knew we were entering the Big Twelve, uh, that was the announcement was made in '94 or '95, and we told uh, Tremaine and some of these kids uh, that we were going to play in the Big Twelve. We just didn't know when it was going to yeah. be the Big mm -hmm. Twelve. But at any rate, when when that when all that happened. Uh, you know, we started getting McDonald's All-Americans. Chris Clack was the only McDonald's All-American we recruited in my 10 years. He was the first. Uh, and I knew that would happen when we knew we were going to the Big 12 or it was going to be a Big 12. Mm -hmm. Southwest Conference was very hard to recruit to. But in spite of that, we became a national team. You could go to New York City and see people wearing Texas gear. You'd see running horns on shirts up there. And yet we didn't have to market except to play on television. Even the announcers uh, were calling us the running horns. Yep. We had a brand. Uh, we created a brand. It said a lot, but that's what the product was when people came to watch us play or when games were on television. We became the most televised team in college basketball in my second season at Texas. It was amazing. Wow, I didn't know that. Yes, and the Irwin Center, played more games. And the Irwin Center was a big part of that, too. The Irwin Center was a great home court. And that was that was the – I didn't. I had never seen Texas play on television because they never played on television <laughs> before I got there. They didn't play on ESPN. They didn't play on ABC or any CBS, any of the people that televised games. I never saw the arena. And before I signed on the dotted line, I wanted to see the facilities. Now, they lied to me about practice and all that, but they drove <laughs> me down the ramp in, in a car. The floor wasn't down, but we drove out to the middle. They had the lights turned on, and I looked up, and I said, oh, my God. It, it was bigger and nicer than the Dean Smith Center, which I had coached in. Uh, it was the best arena I had ever seen. And I still felt that way in, in my last year at Texas. It yeah. was an intimidating arena. It was so big. But when it was filled up and it was loud, it was the best home court in America, too. It's hard to believe with what's happened in the last, you know, eight or ten years or yeah. since 2009. But... It'll all come back. It started to come back this year, and, and Chris will have that place jammed. Yeah. But yeah. I had to say, I mean that, uh, those two passes that Tommy made, people still talk about it uh, everywhere. You know, how the heck did he throw it, you know, three-quarter court? I said it was more than that, but it was on the money because he was a baseball player. He was the only guy on the team that could throw that pass. It's got that um, Pender's genetic from baseball. Yep. Which uh, you had the confidence. Gentlemen, this is uh, 
Since there's so much negativity in the world, this is how we like to end these episodes with this. Hey, Ben, tell me something good. Tell me something good, sponsored by our guy, Kevin Hutchison. He's a fellow Anderson Trojan, Realty Austin. He's been doing that. He's been in that industry for about 20, 25 years. So he and he does it like nobody else. He's very laid back. And now he's expanded to the San Antonio market. And if you're selling, just expect a nice little chunk of change profit. That's just the way it is nowadays. But uh, Coach Penders, Tommy, both of you coaches, obviously, tell me something good going on in this world right now that maybe people should open their eyes to. It could be basketball related. It could be something societal. <laughs> sure. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to stick with the athletics subject just because we're on that right now there's so much good going on right now with college basketball and if you look back just one year and and even two years down the road two years ago there was no tournament Mm -hmm. and you listen to charles barkley and he says this is the most incredible event that he gets to work he loves it the only thing that can can compare to it is the olympics last year there were no crowds and now we get to watch these games in in Louisiana, in New Orleans with with 50, 60,000 people and the fans are involved. And, and these kids that are college athletes were deprived of that luxury to, to be able to play in front of thousands of fans. And and you could see it in their faces and how much they they love the game. And and it, it, it's March carrying on to April. I know it's April now, but March Madness is truly the best part for sports the best time of the year and it 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 rolls into the masters and and what a sporting event that is and 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 hopefully we get to celebrate tiger woods getting back on onto the 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 scene and and just the fact that these kids get to play college sports in front of thousands of people again it, it's something to celebrate because they were missing out. I know I know what it felt like to play an NCAA tournament game. I did it a few times. And uh, I know what it's like to coach in front of thousands of people. And, and for these kids to have that chance again and to do it on national television, it says a lot. And, and I'm happy that, that they're experiencing this. I, I agree with you 100%. We, we were deprived of a lot. And a lot of some of us are permanently affected. But sports and March Madness is one of the most beautiful things that ties so many people together, and it's a great outlet. Coach Penders, um, you, I, I, did we save the best for last? Because of what Tommy said, that's hard to beat. I mean, that's that is that applies to everybody. Well, this is the best sporting event. Uh, it's even better than the Olympics, uh, unless you're into figure skating as well. <laughs> I. <laughs> I have never watched an Olympic basketball game and, and rooted hard for the dream team. It, it's kind of like having a fight when, with a hundred of your best friends against one person. <laughs> Nobody's going to upset the dream team. Uh, and I don't get a big kick out of that. College basketball, the month of March, starting with the conference tournaments, it's a month-long party. It's a celebration uh, and you know when they talk about 
people getting along today and racism and all this stuff. Just watch college basketball. Even the NBA uh, to a certain extent, but college is more about kids. They're 18 to 22 playing together uh, and, and playing for a school. It's a beautiful thing. You see guys hugging after games. You see joy, uh, and, and it lasts an entire month. If yeah. people could get along as well as a team has to get along to be successful, this world would be a, a much happier place. Uh, you, you see kids of all races and nationalities playing, hugging, loving the game, developing friendships that last a lifetime. And if you play on a good college team, you're going to be best friends with those people the rest of your life, and you're not likely to have a closer friend uh, and, and closer than some of your closest relatives or your teammates. <laughs> My teammates from UConn are still very close friends with mine, and as Tommy knows, I played at the highest level of fast-pitch softball until I was 40 years old okay. while I was coaching basketball. Those guys, I don't – a day doesn't go by when I don't hear from one of them. We were a family that won five national championships playing fast-pitch softball. When you win in sports, you stay together, and it's a beautiful thing. Not everybody wins every game. But overall, if you've had success in sports, I think you have a chance uh, for a very happy life because the things, the qualities that you started to learn in sports carry over into life. Yeah, so how, how old were you when you accepted the job at Texas? I forgot. It was 1988. I was 42 at the time I took it, 42 years old. So you hung up the softball spikes by the time you made it to Austin. Yes, I, I, I gave up in 1984 after representing the United States in the World Games. We had a great team, but we were all around that 38, 39 age bracket. And I was a bunch the bat of us. boy. Were you really, Tommy? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, my Tommy God. was the bat boy from, I think, age 8 through 13. Yeah. He's got a few championship rings. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh did they did was Oklahoma City the host site? Yeah, sometimes okay. uh, Oklahoma City is the home of the of the ASA USA slash USA yeah. USA Softball Hall of Fame. Now yeah. it used to be ASA slash USA. It's USA uh, Hall of Fame, and they have a beautiful facility there. It's connected to right behind where the women play the College World Series. It's right in that same area. But if you see uh, the Texas women play or if you've ever seen them play, just picture guys playing it, pitchers 6'8", six, 6'9", six, that can throw at 105 miles an hour, and it either goes up or down. The women are getting better and better and better. But we played it at the highest level uh, that you don't see anymore. It's not played in college. It was a great sport. It's baseball on steroids. Yeah. When it's played at a high level. So, um, you know, uh, friendships, 
last forever with teammates. That's, that's the honest to God truth from all levels. Well, you get to see the best and the worst. And having Tommy play on my team was an unbelievable experience for me. A father who, who loved his son, who was always real close with his son, has the opportunity to be with his son every day. Uh, when practice started till the end of the season, you saw him every single day. Uh, you didn't have to chase him down or leave messages. How you doing? I saw him every day. Uh, and fathers don't get that opportunity. But I didn't make it easy for him to play. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was it was definitely worth it. It was definitely worth it. And I, I have no regrets at all. I, I really enjoyed my opportunity and, and time there. And playing and, playing for my dad was great. And watching it from afar was something special. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. But and it's also Thank to you. get you guys together. And I know this is I'm about to have a two year anniversary with this podcast, and it's to have you guys on. I know we waited a little while, but it was well worth the wait. And I really appreciate you guys. We appreciate being here. Thank you so That's, much, Sean. Absolutely. And we'll circle back in person. I'm sure we have plenty more stories uh, to tell, man. I look forward to seeing you guys. So for the now official VIP alumni, the Penders boys and the OG Man Cave boys, that being Hardball Harge, Big Mike, and Coach Mo, we are out. You see the drippy, I'm fitted up. I'm in my car in the giddy up.